synergize, then circling back to take it offline because this robust game changer, Chuck, won't just move the needle. It's going to be a win-win. Let's get the ball rolling. Today, we're talking about corporate jargon. I'm Chaz, he's Brett, and this is The Furious Curious. Corporate jargon, variously known as corporate speak, corporate lingo, business speak, business jargon, or management speak, is the jargon that's often used in large corporations, bureaucracies, and similar mm-hmm. workplaces. Yeah, the, you know, the use of corporate jargon is criticized for its lack of clarity as well as for its tedium, making meaning and intention opaque and understanding difficult. It's also criticized for not only uh, enabling delusional thoughts but also allowing them to be seen as some sort of asset in a workplace. Speech or writing having uh, unusual or pretentious vocabulary, convoluted or phrasing or vague. That's according to Urban Dictionary. I mean, Chuck, you and I are in the corporate environment, arguably, on on a regular basis. I feel like we witness this stuff firsthand. Yeah, no no question. And and I also think, I think Michael Lewis said this about in the big short one time, he was saying the entire financial services industry has flourished on obscuring what needs to be clarified. And that was very unique to mm-hmm. the financial services industry, but I think it, yeah. it it extends and it's very true for corporate America at large. And and there's a reason of litany of reasons for this, really. It is quite maddening when you are in meetings and people sort of <laughs> uh, jump into some of this language unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. I think it, you know, it, it's sort of the uh, the scourge of middle management. I, th- I feel like top mm-hmm. visionary leaders often, a lot of them don't have jargon in their lexicon at all. But mm-hmm. it, it is interesting <laughs> that the types of people who adopt it and the types of people who are the biggest offenders of corporate jargon often sort of aren't the greatest communicators themselves. Yeah, it's, like, it's borrowed language. It's like, I don't have the language to really articulate thought. So I'm going to use existing language that has kind of this veneer of intelligence. It, it really is. And wanted to, we wanted to jump in sort of out of the gate for the five reasons why it exists. And, and again, I mentioned there, there are a number of these, but the first reason why I think it exists is for peer pressure. Now, this is not mm. necessarily a negative thing. As a species, we're in the habit of, you know, mimicking our peers if terminology spreads within a group, we are, you know, we're going to adopt it. It just makes sense right. that if this here is the established uh, lexicon, whether it's touch base or circle back or put a pin in it uh, or a single source of truth, we're going to start using that terminology because mm-hmm. it's got an established agreed upon meaning in that context. I've noticed that particular organizations, you know, somebody will start saying something and then people will latch onto that term yeah. and it becomes kind of a cultural device. So I'm trying to think of one, you know, Chuck, you and I work in advertising. We've worked at two different places together, two different advertising agencies. What's one that's really unique to the previous, recent previous workplace that we've worked at together? I don't know if there's any one specific ones, but I've I've started using term like I remember seeing one time. Oh, this is a lead pony. What's the lead pony? Oh, the lead pony. And I, I don't know where I first heard that, but I, I've heard that before. Uh, and and then once once that sort of becomes the established 
agreed upon terminology, then to use anything else would feel like you're sort of bearing the lead. But I do think, as you mentioned, it's an agreed upon device. So once that is used, whether it's RIP, like, oh, it's a RIP-O-Matic for a, for a video. <laughs> right. Other people have said, oh, no, it becomes a prototype. So once there is an established terminology for something, to call it by anything else means you're sort of deviating from the sort of the, the group lexicon. So yeah. that, that peer pressure, for better or worse, it makes total sense for why corporate jargon uh, is embraced. It's made me realize realize actually when when we when I started to get into this and like research I was like wow actually I use a lot of these terms I think you and I can agree this isn't us throwing rocks at the window in some sort of self-righteous like oh well this is what this is what other people do we don't do it. like you and I like we, you and I've been in in the wild together like in corporate environments I've realized both of us speak more for myself, have used a lot of the jargon in the past as I went through this I was like oh yep use that one oh yep use that one oh definitely use that one you know, it's it's funny you mention that because I was talking to my dad, I don't know, maybe six months ago, and we were talking about, you know, I've lived in the US for 13 years, and mm-hmm. I don't think I have an American accent at all. I mean, there are certain words uh, that I say in, in place of words that I would have used growing up in Australia. Oh, but yeah. I, was, I was say to my dad, I'll say, oh, do you think I've got an American accent? He goes, oh, no, it's sort of more some of the words you use. Oh. Like, what you, what? And I go, what do you mean? Mm. He said, like unpack. Oh, and, and, he went right to it. Yeah, and and, and wheelhouse. And oh. I was like, oh, geez. I mean, w- once you sort of become accustomed to using these terms, it's very hard to go the other way. So, so that's they're, yeah. That, that was they're powerful. A, yeah, they are. And I think it's like any. It's like a metaphor as well. well. A lot of these are metaphors, like low-hanging fruit and what have you. If it's a if it's a lot of information compressed economically, then it yeah. makes sense to use fewer words than than writing an essay for something you're trying to say. Okay, so number yeah. two reason so we, the, the peer pressure component strong. Just want to move on to the next one. Yeah. Uh, number two, self-aggrandizement. When you think corporate jargon is really the OG humble brag, if you know a certain lexicon and, and series of you know terminology, mm-hmm. it it does legitimize you as a player within that space. So I think it mm-hmm. is a way to demonstrate your own self-worth and importance. Mm-hmm. So using sort of complicated corporate jargon uh, is, is self-aggrandizing and it, it makes a lot of sense that it's, it's the number two reason why. There's this book, which we talked about before. It's like, I think it's called 100 Ways to Like Sound Intelligent in a Meeting. Is that the, is that the title? That's the title. Something, Something like that. It. Yeah. yeah. It, I thought it was actually a serious book. And then I went into it and it was more of like a joke, call, kind of calling this stuff out. So she did a shorthand of this. Her name is Sarah Cooper. And she did a shorthand on this in on her website, basically 10 tricks to appear smart in meetings. So the first one was draw a Venn diagram, which I was like... <laughs> I like that. Like Chuck, you you you're the best at Venn diagrams at work, and they and they and they work. And, and one of these things is like some of these terms are useful because they work. Sometimes you know they sure. actually can they actually can be a nice device. You know, a pulley to get where you want to go. <laughs> this other one, tra- number two, was translate percentages into fractions. So <laughs> if you said to me, Chuck, twenty five percent of people clicked on this button, and I would say, so that's one in four. <laughs> <laughs> just being able to do basic math in real time in a meeting evidently is um is intelligent or demonstrates the veneer of intelligence my favorite one and i want to poke my eyes out with my pen when i hear this in uh in a meeting can we just take a step back <laughs> and it's close cousin can you go back a slide yeah it's a, it's a power move it's like a derailment of a flow because you and i have presented stuff together and there's a flow to a presentation and when somebody says can we go back a slide it's intentionally in my opinion a lot of the time 
trying to interrupt this flow. You know, we can quote circle back to it at the end, but instead it's like, a, anyway, I think that's kind of funny. Uh, nod while taking notes. I won't go through all of them, but like <laughs> ask if this will scale. So I did an experiment this week where um, just, you know, the bread and butter work, we were doing some banner ads, the agency, and you know, there like, was like four banner ads. And I said, but will this scale? <laughs> just to see what people would do uh pace around the room i'm actually that's hang on, hang on. What, what did they do when you said it it was met with confusion <laughs> which is exactly what i wanted <laughs> they're like uh pace around the room which is something i actually do not to look intelligent but really because i hate sitting down and i um i'm neurotic and i don't like to i need to move to concentrate and then what's another one? Oh, ooh, chuck we got to use this one at some point everybody Use this once. Step out for an important phone call. Oh, there's, their time is so important. They got to keep. But people don't say that, do they? I mean, isn't it more just, I got to, like, if someone said that uh -huh. like, in that declara you know, declarative voice, I think that would be openly mocked right now. Because, well, because the, I, I, yeah, I think a lot of the time people know that we're heavily scheduled and we, I've got a hard stop there. Well, hard stop, that's another one. But uh, just oh, the hard I, stop. I think, I think people are understanding that. A lot of the time, demands for our time. Certainly, you know, someone like you, you know, everyone's coming. And, oh, you know, can I can I get some of this? Can I get some of this? And sometimes we're we're spread a little thin, so it makes sense if you got to jump out to take a call in a meeting. I think it's how it's handled. Sorry, yeah, I'm with take, you. I gotta I, take I, this. I agree. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a quote here. Is it? Sorry, I've got to take this. Instead, I would be like one second. I would jump out. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm, I handle it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I often say, look, it, it's it's RBG on the phone. I gotta I gotta take this. <laughs> no, I I, I jest. I jest. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but uh, just when you're talking about Sarah Cooper, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but her career has really blown up through mm. uh, just her mimicking of like she she takes some of the president's statements. Oh. And and acts them back out and doesn't change a word. So there's mm. something charming about it because she's not like wherever you sit on the political spectrum because she's not actually saying anything he hasn't said. Mm. She's just bringing a degree of like animated expression to it, which mm. it, it doesn't sound like it would be funny, but it's it actually is very funny and quite. Funny. <laughs> um, so yeah, moving on to number three in terms of the five reasons why I'm going to call this one. It's stifling. Now, corporate mm. jargon can create confusion around what's next. Confusion can lead mm. to paralysis. Paralysis can lead to greater middle manager job security. Now, this sounds a little bit like a cynical view of the world, but mm -hmm. it, objectively speaking, there are, you know, corporations run run pretty fat. Like there are a lot of middle managers who are, you know, glorified paper pushers. And this is not necessarily a dig. It's just, you know, the nature of the inefficiency of, of corporate America, you know, mm -hmm. the, the the corporate structure was built, you know, a long time ago. Uh, the yep. digital revolution has has changed the need for people, you know, layers of management, middle management, what have you. Mm -hmm. I've had several clients and various, you know, places that I've worked where you realize oh, a lot of these people are not really essential workers. They are there, you know, for a paycheck and, and to put a bum in seat and to look impressive. But they actually have a stake in things not getting made. If, if things, if they mm. don't rock the boat, they can look busy and, and complete this make work, then it looks like they've been effective to a degree. But by, you know, I guess obscuring what comes next, mm -hmm. they actually enable their greater job security. So I'm calling that one stifling. Preach it. Preach it, brother. All right, fair enough. <laughs> uh, so number four, I want to say it obscures truth. Mm -hmm. Now, 
in a way that that sounds negative and cynical as well but there's also a positive and a negative to this you know like the consulting industry comes in for a lot of heat around stuff like this like sugarcoating words for letting people go like downsizing streamlining restructuring oh right um, th th these kinds of words but at the same time or, or um to be made redundant people don't want to say fired right so th there is a certain humanizing of certain language that back in the day felt a little cutthroat so i do think while people can get cynical i think people can at the same time it, it does sort of create a degree of it, it softens the language in a way that is more humanizing i think they really do that well in office space hmm. when the consultants come in this berkeley uh berkeley professor at the, the haas school of business jennifer chapman she says about this kind of jargon, jargon masks real meaning. People use it as a substitute for thinking hard and clearly about their goals and the direction they want to give others, which I think like really gets to the point very clear in terms of, you know, it obscures truth and it obscures intent, I think. Mm. Yeah, that, that does make a lot of sense. I, I think... Yeah. By obscuring truth, like you're, you're almost hedging your bets. Uh, you you you, you right. can't be wrong, and and I think that's why you know it does. You know, if, if middle if middle managers can do that, then they're sort of their ass isn't as much on the line, if that makes sense. Uh, yep. So so I, I totally agree with that. Mm -hmm. uh, so the number five reason why I want to say just the unavoidable humanity. Mm -hmm. we're, we're not robots. People who work in corporate environments that we're all humans. You know, for the most part. So if you think of humans uh we speak in half truths we embellish we embellish situations without without knowing you know memories are notoriously unreliable if you think of like eyewitness yeah. crimes a lot of the time they're actually incorrect even though they they're certain of what they saw it's essentially just our our unavoidable humanity that makes some of this uh, i guess spread within organizations we mm. are imprecise with our language and it makes sense you know that reality would creep into the the lexicon a lot of them are just like borrowed metaphors to express something i mean i'm just looking at a lot of this stuff make hay uh think outside the box a lot on my plate uh bandwidth move the needle hit the ground running all hands on deck drill down get the ball rolling like i said a lot of these are just uh borrowed metaphors i think humans if they can't describe something they use a metaphor to really describe something and i think that's a human that's a human thing where we all do that and i think it can be done very effectively yeah that, that does make sense and yeah. a lot of the time a metaphor itself even if it's obscure and hard to understand it sounds a little more poetic because right. at least there is the effort that's been made to compress some of that sprawling amount of information there was a football coach uh australian football coach named mick malthouse he's a little bit of a legend in the game but he he often uh would drop some ancient wisdom and i think mm. he quoted some an ancient chinese parable once talking Whoa. about being patient around uh the development of younger players and he would say the ox is slow but the earth is patient <laughs> and i remember like at the time everyone's like oh, what, what is this you know <laughs> did you swallow uh meditations by marcus aurelius or, or you know sun Tzu, <laughs> the art of war but it's always stayed with me and as soon as you drop in something that sounds historical uh it, it straight it, it makes you seem a little like lofty i'm a sucker for that stuff um i love <clears throat> proverbs ancient proverbs i love like i love like pages from the the art of war which is a really great book actually if you if you say something when it's really relevant like uh, uh -huh. the other day i remember hearing i think it was um 
Elliot Kipchoge, the guy who um, the the chasing two, the he broke the two two hour barrier for the the marathon. Ah. You, you know, the, there was contrived conditions that weren't acknowledged by whatever body approves of world records. Oh, really? But the, the fact that it was done because it was, you know, a controlled environment, had the pace cars and the pace runners, it was flat. So it wasn't like an actual official marathon, but he still broke two hours. But th- they asked him what's next, and I, I think he quoted a Russian proverb. He said, chase rabbit, chase two rabbits, catch neither. But basically, like, <laughs> if you're going after a goal, you need to focus on one goal at a time. Because if you, if you spread your if you spread your focus across multiple goals, you're going to be shortchanging yourself. I love so, that. Yeah, like if you drop that, in you know, someone came into a brief and said, "Look, we've got to do these five things." It's like, okay, well, if you're trying to do these five things, you're not going to achieve them. But if you go after one thing in a meaningful, you know, concerted way, then it's gonna it's gonna be more likely to to happen. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I digress. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. to recap, uh, yeah. five reasons why I want to say peer pressure, self-aggrandizement, it's stifling, it obscures truth, and the unavoidable humanity are the five reasons why we believe mm-hmm. corporate jargon exists today. So moving on, Britt, and we've touched on a few of these, what yeah. are your favorite, if you had to say your sort of Hall of Fame slash mm-hmm. Mount Rushmore slash GOAT, <laughs> Corporate corporate jargon words. What, what are yours? I would say best in class. I, I'm just going through the, the the ones that just have just the the fake Chrome all all over it. Uh, <laughs> game plan, deep dive, moving parts, bring to the table. There was another one. Uh, it's something about a loop. Close the loop. Close the loop. Think outside the box. Pain point. Reinvent the wheel. Mm. Uh, there's some. They kind of float out there that I've actually never heard. I mean, most of these I've actually heard, right? Yeah. You know, I, I've actually said we're on a journey. That's, a, I guess that's a corporate jargon. I, I say journey all the time. I probably overuse that. But there was two, pick it up, uh, just pick it up and run with it. I find mm-hmm. kind of annoying sometimes, uh, but I get the intention. There was one that kept rotating, and this is more in the UK, Chuck. Time to punch a puppy? Nope. I've never what heard the? that. I'm like. Never, never heard it. Never heard it. Never will say it either. Yeah. Anyway, so those. Are, what are you? What, are, what about you, Chuck? Sorry, I, I did. That was a litany. I remember first hearing wheelhouse. Is that in our wheelhouse? Oh, yeah, I thought that was interesting, and and I had to look it up. And I'm not actually. I can't remember what it was, but now I, I get the term. It's basically is this within your domain of expertise or core competency? Is it in, in your pre- core competency? There you go. Yeah, precisely. One that I use, yeah. you know, all the time, and and I just. You know, it's almost become invisible. I, I mm. cannot understand why I say this, and I also can't think of a uh, a better replacement for it. Is touch base? Let's touch base mm. on that. I feel Even like I've if never an email, if I'm reaching that. out to someone who I haven't connected with a while, so I'm touching base. Huh? And I'm like, I, I, I don't think I've say, ever. I don't think I've ever heard you say that at work. Yeah, maybe yeah. it's more of an email thing. Another one, uh, and this I, I didn't even realize. This is another yeah. one for having lived in the US for so long. I, I was catching up with a friend in London. And I said, I'd just come from connecting with another friend uh, who he knew. And he said, oh, how did you get in touch with Michael? I said, oh, you know, I, I just reached out and, and um, you know, we connected. And, and he said, reach out? What do you mean? <laughs> and, like, like, and it wasn't, it, he wasn't sort of um, crapping on me for using the term. He literally did not know what I meant by reaching out. And I guess, you know, Really, that is a U.S. term, and I, I guess oh. it, it could because it, it could mean anything, right? It, it also reminds. Okay, this is. I, I just want to go. Um, I just want to go off piece because yes. this is my single 
forget corporate jargon. This is my single American jargon that I will never say nor can <laughs> never understand is when people say, I have to run some errands because what that like, I don't know if you guys have seen the Tom Cruise movie collateral with Jamie Foxx, where he hires <laughs> yes. Jamie Foxx as a hitman or yes. no, he's a hitman. The fake gray hair guy. Yeah, exactly. And he hires Jamie Foxx as a cab driver to drive him around. Yes. It's a good movie. And he's, I think well, running some errands could be going to the post office or it could oh. be taking a cab driver hostage to act as your getaway driver while you murder people. <laughs> like It could not be more abstract. <laughs> I don't understand. I have to run some errands. And people say, well, what do you say in Australia? I'm like, well, we literally say, if I got to go to the post office, I got to do that. If I got to go to the grocery store, I got to go to that. Like, we, like run some errands. Why do you say, yeah, this afternoon I'm going to be breathing? <laughs> you know, it, it, it could not be more meaningless. Anyway, so that's a distinctly American term, is what you're saying. Errands. Yes. Another oh. one is I've, I've Googled this a few times over this, the years, like rain check. Like, if that's you look at the origins one. of oh. it, I mean, I, I'm not sure if it is. I, I just, even now, I've got to take a rain check. And is it something about, oh, we, we can't play because it's raining? Or I'm not exactly sure why, where oh, that I came think, from. So I think it's like, so rain check is like, uh, oh, you know, let's do a rain check on that. I think it's like you make a plan, mm. the plans get foiled. Oh, I, I know literally, but I'm I'm just wondering. Oh no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not telling you this. I'm telling the listeners this. Like, oh, sorry, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know you know it because we use that term. Uh, you know, if you and I are going to meet at the Royal Exchange or something, and then one of us gets late at work, you know, back when you know life That's was normal right. and wonderful, sure, sure. it'd be like, oh yeah, rain check, which is like. We made plans. Something got foiled. Got to, you know, let's do it later. And I think, I think it is a, um, that must be an American term where if you buy, I think if you buy a ticket to something and then it doesn't happen, I think that's, that's the analogy. That's my guess. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Anyway. <laughs> reach out to us. I can't believe I just said reach out. Reach out. Uh, and that was not, yeah. that was not intentional. Yeah. Please. If you know the origin of rain check, we won't Google it until yeah. uh, this goes live. So please hit us up. Add us on that. Lecture Indeed. us. Indeed. So moving on to the patron saints, Brett, mm -hmm. um, have you got any particular patron saints in your mind? Well, I think you have you have a great list, uh, two two great lists here. Yeah, I mean the one that obviously jumps to mind, you know, the, the nineteen ninety nine movie Office Space, the the, the boss so Lumberg, Lumberg, like he's just sort of this creepy, hey, overbearing, Peter, controlling, process driven boss. Hello, Peter. What's happening? Uh, we have sort of a problem here. Yeah, you apparently didn't put one of the new cover sheets on your TPS reports. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry about that. I, I forgot. Mm, yeah. You see, we're putting the cover sheets on all TPS reports now before they go out. Did you see the memo about this? Yeah. Uh, the other one is Dilbert. Dilbert sort of mm. came around in the mid-90s, written by a guy called Scott Adam. Uh, mm. He's an interesting guy, though. But basically talking about the banality of the corporate environment. There's another guy called um, Mark Atunist. He's a cartoonist that sort of deals in sort of mm. marketing um, jargon and marketing obfuscation. So I would say those three. I'd say Lumberg from Office Space. I'd say yeah. Scott Adams, the creator of Dilbert. And I would also say the Mark Atunist. So Office Space is a great movie. Um, you know, I didn't really, I couldn't resonate with it at the time because I hadn't worked an office job yet. What's, what's other shows or, you know, there's workaholics. Mm. But that's, that, that's not really, I mean, it, yes, they work at an office. Is there anybody in the show, The Office, that would be a patron saint here? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, probably Michael Scott. Michael Scott, uh, there we go. The founder, I mean, yep. like he is, or, you know, or, or Jim or Pam, I mean, just sort of layers of inefficiency. You know, Dwight, uh, Dwight's- They're Dwight all kind Shrew. of patron saints. They're kind of, yeah. the, they're kind of the disciples. <laughs> they are. And I would even say, I would go back to, you know, the, the creator of the office, uh, you know, Ricky Gervais, the, the original office, the UK oh, one, which only so went for two funny. seasons. A lot of people love it. And I, look, so I think edgy. they're both more, good different. more edgy. It, it, it is, yeah. But uh, just absolutely skewering the idiosyncrasies of office life. Mm. So I, I just think they nailed it well. So, you know, The Office, it sounds literal, but I think they did it well. But I, I totally agree with that. Are there any other movies about the like office life? That you are know really what? Good? I will say this. I don't know why this came to mind. American Beauty. You know, oh. Kevin Spacey is sort of... Mm. It's funny. When I watched that, it was 99. I thought, oh, he's so old. But he's only sort of early 40s, I think. He just... He's sort of one of those guys, Kevin Spacey. And I know he's fallen from grace now, but he sort of popped out of the womb. He looked like 50. So, mm. <laughs> you know, he's always been... He's been 50 for about, you know, 30 years, more. Anyway, <laughs> and Kevin Spacey, his name is Lester Burnham in that, and he is just a corporate... I mean, talk about an office job, office worker named Lester Burnham. And I think he worked for an advertising, you know, marketing company, and he just had a depressing sort of grey, drab cube, and he drove a camera, you know, just all, all the sort of prototypical boring office people. Uh, mm -hmm. And there's not a dig in office people. It's just that 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 trope that exists in culture. You mean not trope, but taupe? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my, that's good. That's, that's really good. Uh, they say taupe is soothing. Do you remember mm. who said that? Yes, I do. Russ from Ocean's Eleven. Yes. Yes. Good job. <laughs> well done. Well I, done. I, I believed in you. Yeah. To you know, it taupe. It's unopinionated. The be the best the best corporate warrior is can use all these words can be unspecific can be risk averse and then doesn't have an opinion which is what taupe is taupe is a color that doesn't have an opinion right yeah. it goes yeah, with that everything makes sense. you know it, it does yeah. it though i mean like if you wore a taupe t-shirt if you walked in like i, I like and so sorry norman schwartzkopf wants his shirt back right? <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know operation desert storm uh, version 2.0. No, you know what I mean? Like to taupe in, yeah, in a, um, if you think of a Vegas lobby or, or you know, hallway, to taupe, got it. But as a t-shirt, yeah, I don't know. Mm. Maybe pants. I mean, to you know, most chinos are taupe of some flavor. It's kind of a taupe, yeah. I feel like uh, if I just wear my white t-shirt for too long, it turns taupe anyway. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> oh. So Sonic Embodiment, uh, who have oh, you got? That song, Working for the Weekend. Getting Love it. Manic Monday, mm. Taking Care of Business. I think those are the th my three songs. What are yours? Something less about the literal workplace yeah, I went, I went more about a song that reminds me of a very uninspiring drab workplace <laughs> and i want to say like walking on the sun by smash mouth we got some friends that are going to have a bone to pick with you on that yeah i know shout out <laughs> to zach <laughs> we gotta get zach on it's yeah, good. no, uh, we do. He's going to actually appreciate this. I'm not even going to tell him about it and Don't just uh, wait till uh, wait till what he says. Yeah, I went, I went kind of literal. So working for the weekend, Manic Monday, taking care of business. You know what I realized in this, Chuck? Going through Sonic Embodiments, this kind of idealized, and I know we're kind of drifting off jargon in particular, but this kind of lore or even idealized setting of working, right? Like, like Manic Monday kind of, you know, it, it's a struggle, but it's talking about work. 
taking care of business, a little bit more abstract, working for the weekend. But all, what I realized is like, okay, that's, what is that, 80s, like take care of business, that's the 70s. Manic Monday, working for the weekend, 80s, kind of this trove of songs about working. You know, I was going through is like, you know, love, heartbreak, drugs, sex, you know, number five around there is is about work. And that's those are the topics of songs, particularly in the 80s. And I was like, wow. And then I was like, OK, like a sonic embodiment now that really if I keep my literal nose on what's one right now, people don't sing about work anymore. That's what I found kind of interesting. And you know what? Maybe, I, yeah. and maybe my circles are small in my on my Spotify. My my algorithms are 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 whack. But I don't hear that kind. Of, I don't hear that idealized or even the struggle. You know, talking about the struggle of working in yeah in, in pop pop music it, anymore. It's a good point, and I think you know in the, in the rise of sort of the entrepreneur slash solopreneur, this environment of the side hustle where that is sort of more revered. Like the, the term, if you're a small business owner back in the back in the day, that wasn't that didn't have the same cachet as it right. does now. Right. Like working for yourself now is like, oh wow like they've actually left the corporate rat race and they're doing their thing mm -hmm. uh, back in the day it means oh geez they're probably unemployable i mean you know i'm generalizing here but you know what i'm saying like mm -hmm. it, it, there is a certain um cachet that it has now that it didn't used to have just before we move on um yeah i want to throw this at you you mentioned manic monday by the bangles mm -hmm. that had a the person who wrote that song is extraordinarily famous yep so you know who it is prince oh I thought I might have got you. No, you had I, I should have known better. <laughs> but the lyrics, these are the days that you wish your bed was already made. <laughs> I mean, that is so poetic and that is such a clinical yeah. but emotionally charged way to say, geez, this is what a crappy day. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just, RIP, you genius. Because yeah. uh, you you were gone too soon. Yeah, like so many others. Working for the weekend. But here's my question. I interpreted that, that song two ways, working for the weekend. In other words, like, oh, I got to work Saturday and Sunday. Or is it I'm busting my butt so I can have a weekend? No, it's it's the Which latter. One, it's, it's the, the latter. latter. Oh, okay. Yeah, or, or my job is so mind-numbingly, you know, soul-sucking. When I get out of here, woo, it right. is the weekend, baby. Give me a white claw. <laughs> Sorry. Which we covered last week, just, uh, just a hyperlink. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Breaking through buzzwords. I know we have a litany here, a huge list. Are any of these kind of fun that we should just talk about? Like where we say what they said, what it means, and what it really means. Are any of these kind of funny to you? Um, you know, one of them jumps out. Yeah. And this is this applies to the corporate environment as well as life. It, mm -hmm. it is what it is. And, and in terms of what they said, what it means, we have no control over the situation. What it really means, I feel like I'm going to have to say something, so I'm going to say this. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, it, it's sort of it's a bit of a waste of breath. It doesn't advance the discussion. You know, it, it's sort of it, it's deter it's fatalistic. It's fa it's like oh, it is what it is. Like, okay, bring bring some bring some constructive input mm -hmm. rather than just a throwaway nothing burger. I think what it really really means is that I don't have the energy to change this very significant thing but you know what if you said sailor mm -hmm. v <laughs> just by virtue of being foreign and friend you go like it in, in, in straight away in that those few words you've encapsulated the spirit something a little nicer about it if you say it in uh in french as opposed to english noted i'm gonna do that any other thoughts on this uh the breakthrough buzzwords oh this this will resonate to me specifically it just needs some wordsmithing 
Uh, what it means is the copy needs some revision. What it really means is I'm going to rewrite this. I think what it really, really means is this copy sucks. I mean, the problem is, I think a lot of the time people try and, uh, you know, we're, we're all captive to our own environment and we've all been institution institutionalized in the environment that we work in. So oftentimes people will say, I, I want to use this language, but it might actually not be the best language to use. It might yeah. actually be damaging if you know, in terms of it going out to the, the broader world. So I think although that is well-intentioned a lot of the time, it can be incredibly, um, I, don't, I don't want to say destructive, but non-productive, that's for sure. Did you ever use we eat our own dog food? Yeah. That, I've never used that. Yeah, I, I've never used that either. It's a, I actually did tweet once. I said to the person who created that term. Um, <laughs> did you really? Who, yeah, no, I did. It was years ago. I said, the person who created the term eat our own dog food should be required to eat their own dog food as penance because it was terrible. And, you know, it, that, that um, because it sort of goes into various different flavors of corporate buzz speak, the eat around dog food is an unequivocal tech one. Mm. And I think it came as a result of like, you know how they say beta, like, oh, it's in alpha, it's in beta. Yeah. Um, dog food, like a, in working with a large tech company that we do sometimes, there's a dog food version of different products. Mm. So if a company like to eat our own dog food means to use the product. So, but basically like if you use the term like a eat our own dog food means we, we should be practicing what we preach in a random mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. uh, we should embrace our own product. So uh, it makes sense, even though it's a weird, it's a very weird term. The, the other one that I, a version of that that's even more like indefensible is that's the way we've always done it. Oh, that one. Uh, which makes no sense at all because talk about a scarcity mindset versus one of abundance. Uh, it's just like, well, okay, but guess what? There's probably a million things wrong with the way you've always done it. It's a circular, it's circular reasoning. We've done something. And so to do it again is, is the reason why we're doing it again is because we did it before. Yeah. There's, there's not, there's, there's no, like, it's a circular, there's no actual substantiation. The only way to justify that would be if everything you'd done as an organization had been perfect, which literally has never happened once, not the most mm -hmm. revered company in the world, whether it's Apple, Amazon, Google, you name it, people have misfires. That is the nature of experimentation and, and, and progress. So mm -hmm. it is that the companies that do experiment in the most efficient way are the ones that actually succeed. It's adapt or die. Everybody. It's been a, it's been a great one. It's been a good it's been one. Fun. You are listening to The Furious Curious, hosted and produced by me, Britton Rice, and my beautiful, esteemed colleague, Charlie Quark, here from San Francisco, California. Uh, until next time, stay curious. Out. Out.